to week two of a brand new series that we're doing um, called 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting. Would you repeat after me? 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting. Ready? One, two, three. 21 Days of Prayer. Anybody there? Let's try that again. That was, that was pitiful. 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting. There you go. So just kind of give you a little bit of a warning, a heads up. Uh, the message today uh, builds up on the message that I gave last week. And so if you, by any chance, we, uh, if you did not hear the message last week, go back, listen to it. It's going to make a little bit more sense. This message today builds on what we said last week. But in case you were not here, uh, if you're just stepping into the room, I want to welcome you. My name is Alex Velarde. I'm one of the pastors here. And I want to give you a little bit of a recap so that we're all on the same page, okay? So what we're saying during these 21 days of prayer and fasting is that if we dedicate ourselves to the Lord this month, the month of January, okay, like in the Old Testament, the word that's used is the word consecrate. Like God would often tell his people to consecrate themselves. It's sort of an old archaic word. Um, it really means to to same as what we're saying, like dedicate yourselves. We really believe that during this series, if we dedicate the first of the year, January, to the Lord, that God can do way more with the rest of the year than we can do with all 12 months, okay? And so tomorrow, we're going to start a 21 days, it's a, it's a church-wide fast to set the tone for the rest of 2022. Now, some of you, you may choose to fast uh, one day. Some of you may say, you know what, I'm going to do a three-day fast. For some of you, it may be, it may be that you're going you're gonna to do like a Daniel's fast. I don't know if you're aware with what that is. It's you remove uh, meat, sweets, bread, and then you, it's a, you, you have a diet of just fruits, vegetables, uh, water. Some of you, you may say, you know what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do from sunup to sundown. So from like 6 in the morning, maybe till, till 3 in the afternoon, it's a partial fast, elective fast, I'm just going to do that, and, and that's what God's calling me to do. Now, what I want you to know as I'm kind of getting into the message is I'm going to tackle this issue from a scriptural perspective, okay? I'm your pastor, I'm not a doctor or anything like that, so there's a lot of benefits to fasting. You can do the research, and you can find out how it can actually really help you. But what we're saying during this series is that when we fast, here's what we said last week, what you're doing is you're creating space for God to work in your life. In fact, I, I, I worded it like this. When you fast, you are, you are clearing out the, the runway of your life for God to land. It's kind of like when you go to the airport and there's a line of airplanes and you know, the tower is just holding everybody off. And they're doing that so that each flight can take off or land individually. And so when you fast, what you're doing, I gave the example of the Legos, remember? If I, when I was a kid, I had a bunch of, I had a box with a bunch of Legos. Well, anytime I wanted to play with those Legos, I would dump them and spread them out so that I could play with them and I could build whatever I wanted to build, right? I couldn't, I couldn't build what I wanted to build in that box. There were so many Legos in that little space. And so the same way it is with fasting, you're clearing out your life, okay, to, in order for you to say, God, I want you to begin to work, I want you to land on 
my life. And nothing, 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 nothing gets you there faster. If you want God to do something in 2022, nothing, spiritually speaking, get you there faster than fasting. So last week, the example that we, we looked at was Jesus' disciples. They were trying to cure this boy who was an epileptic. And um, we were in Matthew 17, but we, we learned that before then, like Matthew chapter 10, Jesus had already given them power to heal, to cure, you know, to cast out demons and all of that. But then they get to this boy in Matthew 17, and they cannot help him. And they tried everything that they could, but they just, just could not get it. And Jesus says, Matthew 17, verse 21, he says, nothing, because his disciples are like, what happened? I mean, what, what in the world? They came to him privately. Why couldn't we heal him? We've done this before. What's the deal? And Jesus says, nothing is impossible for you. However, remember the verse? Some things only come by prayer and, what's the last word? Fasting. Now, I had a few of you who texted me and was like, Pastor, in Matthew 17, verse 21, where Jesus says nothing is impossible for you. However, some things only come by prayer and fasting. That verse is not in my Bible. What's the deal? Well, that verse, some of the modern translations, they believe that that verse was added later. And so some of the, the translations that are a little bit more like word by word, the King James, New King James, the American Standard Version, the New American Standard Version, they include that verse. And it's also found in the Gospel of Mark. And so, you know, just, just so you know, like, okay, my Bible, so maybe it has a little asterisk saying, oh, you know, it doesn't, some translations have it, some do not. I think there's plenty of evidence in Scripture from the Old Testament, New Testament, where you see that fasting is a discipline that we should practice on a regular basis. And so we left off by asking this question. We said, if it's so important, right, why is it that we don't hear about it as much? Why is it that this thing is not practiced as often? Why is it overlooked? And, uh, I mean, if, after all, Jesus made it clear, fasting, like giving, like praying, should be a part of the, just a normal, everyday Christian life, then if it is, I mean, we should give as much attention to fasting as we give to giving and prayer. And so why is it that that's not the case? And, um, and I told you I would tell you the reason today, and I believe the primary reason is one that has plagued mankind since the dawn of creation. And my, my job today, my assignment today is to prove from God's word the why behind it. Now, Jensen Franklin wrote a book called Fasting, and a lot of the research that I'm using for today came from that book. I don't believe everything that he says, but I actually really enjoy reading this book. And one of the things that he says is this, when you fast, what you're actually doing is you're crucifying something that we're going to refer to as, let's put it on the screen, King Stomach. Would you say those two words with me? Just play along. When you play along, the messages get a little bit shorter, okay? Just if you're new to the church, you know, if you play along and you interact, you know, messages get a little bit shorter. If I, if I don't feel like I'm getting through to you, man, I go long, you know? So, you know, so let's play along. Would you say those two words? King Stomach. Say it. Stomach. There you go. Have you, now turn around to someone close to you and say, have you dethroned King Stomach? It's a good time of year to do that. Ask somebody close to you. That's somebody so close to you. Have you taken the time to dethrone King Stomach? He's a dictator, all right? You've got you to get him off the throne. It's been said that the way 
to a man's heart is through his, does anybody know? His stomach, yep. <laughs> My wife knows this. Yesterday we had a steak and potato and a salad. Oh, man, I was so happy. You could have asked me anything in the world. I'm like, yep, the whole world is yours, you know. The way to a man's heart is, to, is through his stomach. Um, for some of us, and I'm raising my hand here, our stomach is like the geographical location of the bottomless pit. And you know what the Bible talks about, the bottomless pit? Stomach, that's it. I eat, and I eat, and I eat some more. I don't ever get full. Like, it's like, what is going on with this? Some of you are like, yeah, amen, pastor. I know exactly what you're talking about. Now, my wife knows this, that the way to a man's stomach is through, uh, to, a, to a man's heart is through his stomach. But the enemy also knows this. And so what I want to do for the next few minutes is I want to give you four examples from God's word on how we should dethrone King Stomach, okay? And then at the end, I want to give you some tips on how to do this. There is a right way of doing it. There's a wrong way of doing it. And so four examples. The first one is this. If you have your Bible, turn to Genesis 2, verse 8. Chapter 2, verse 8. From the very beginning, we see that this is an issue. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. It says, Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. And I wonder how that, I wish I would have been there. Lord God planted a garden. I don't know how that looked like. I have my own thoughts. Uh, and I don't know how you picture it, but in my mind, I, man, I just wish I would have been there. That would have been a cool um, sight to behold. Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he placed the man that he had made. Verse 9. The Lord God made all sorts, watch this, all sorts of trees grow up from the ground. Trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. Everybody say delicious. Ah, oh, this is going to be a long message, man. Everybody say delicious. Oh, okay, all right, that's much better. The Lord produced delicious, beautiful trees and that produce delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life. Watch this, don't miss it. And, two trees, right? And the tree of knowledge, of the knowledge of good and evil. So he plants lots of trees all over the garden. They're beautiful. They're, I mean, they're producing delicious fruit. In the middle, dead center, there is one tree, the tree of life. And then there is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Verse 16, jump to verse 16. But the Lord warned him, Adam, the man, the, word, uh, the, the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Now look this way. With one meal, with one meal, Adam and Eve went from peacefully enjoying the presence of God to fearfully hiding from Him. One meal. And we're, we're still suffering the consequences. This is the moment. This meal is the moment that created all the chaos that we see in the world today. Stress, you know, dealing with COVID, sickness, all of the stuff that we deal. This was the moment, this one meal. You could say that they ate themselves out of God's provision. 
out of God's plan for their lives. They aid themselves out of God's protection. And we're still suffering the consequences. They surrender to who? King what? What's his name? King Stomach. And so what I want to do for the next few minutes is I want to give you a few examples of this. And you don't think I'm making something up. Example number two. Remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? Remember that story? Have you ever heard of it? Sodom and Gomorrah? The Bible says there was a couple of cities. There was a lot of sin, debauchery. I mean, there was just a mess, a lot of sexual sin, immorality. And God says that there was, um, that he sent down fire from, from the sky, from heaven. And it's fire and brimstone, if you read, obliterated both, both, uh, both cities. A lot of times when this story is told, at least the times that I've heard it from communicators, preachers, the focus is on the rampant homosexuality. That's usually what they harp on. Now, I want to teach you something that I learned this week. In Ezekiel, you don't have to turn there, it's on the screen. In Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49, listen to how God describes their sin. God says, Sodom's sins were pride, what's the next word? Gluttony and laziness while the poor and needy suffered outside her doors. Now, it's interesting to me because I have studied this passage. I've heard messages, message after message about this passage, and there's always the one thing that they're, they, you know, they just kind of condemn this one sin, right? The sin of the homosexuality, and it's not like they go after it, you know, time and time again. But when you read Scripture, the way that God describes what was going on in those two places, it's a little different. And God says, your main thing is pride. How many of us have a little pride? You know, in my heart, man, there's a lot. I, gotta, I struggle with that. Thank you, Shane. I appreciate the hand all the way up. <laughs> Sign me up. I'm in, you know. Yeah, pride. I have pride in my heart. Gluttony. Any of you guys don't raise your hand. <laughs> and laziness. While the people were out there starving to death. While the needy were out. And I looked at that second word, gluttony, in the dictionary, and it actually, it means excess in eating. The dictionary says excessive indulgence. In the Hebrew dictionary, it says fullness of bread. I mean, you guys like a little bread. I love bread. Love me some bread, man. So it's carbs. But when you look at this two cities and you see the condemnation that came from the Lord, you could, all, you could deduce that they ate themselves out of God's will because they surrendered to king stomach two more examples number three remember the story the two brothers esau and jacob remember the story genesis 50 i think genesis 25 excuse me 25 verse 34 esau and jacob two brothers um esau was the first one who was born he was the firstborn son now in that culture when you were the firstborn son it, it came with a lot of bless it was a big deal okay you had this thing that they call uh, a birthright, okay? It gave you a lot of blessings materially and, and uh, spiritually as well. If you had the birthright, which Esau had it, he was the firstborn son, that what that meant is that all of a sudden, you would be, just because you were the firstborn son, you would get a double portion of the inheritance. You would get the birthright, double portion of the inheritance, okay? You would get a special blessing, from your dad, whenever, whenever he would die, he would, he would put his hand of approval on you and you would get this, this special blessing on you. It also meant that you had authority over other family members. 
So it was a big deal. If you don't remember the story, basically Esau comes after a long day out in the field, and he's hungry, and he comes home, and Jacob had made a meal, okay? A, a, a lentil, just, I guess, a, a stew, a soup of, like, lentils, okay? And Esau is starving, and if you know the story, you know that he couldn't control his appetite. He couldn't control his, his craving. And he tells Jacob, I will surrender my birthright for the soup of lentils. Now, my parents will often watch. I, I hate when I was a kid, my mom made me eat lentils. Like, I hate lentils. All right? I don't know if any of you guys hate lentils. I have not had lentils probably in like 30 years. Okay, like I hate this thing. But do you, do you think, I mean, would you surrender? Would you surrender your inheritance for a little bowl of lentils? Any of you guys would do that? I mean, like, I'm like, there's no way that you can make me surrender. Wink, quick, my that inheritance, you know, I hope you're not spending it. Um, I would not, I mean, there's no way, there's no way I would do that. Yet Esau surrenders huge blessing because of his allegiance to King Stomach. In fact, you fast forward into the New Testament in Hebrews, God says this in Hebrews 12, 16, God says, make sure that no one, watch this, is immoral or godless like Esau who traded his birthright as the first born son for a single meal it's interesting god describes esau as an immoral and godless person because he surrendered to king stomach last example last example uh, the israelites remember the story of the israelites they were leaving egypt they were heading to the promised land. I mean, they were slaves. I mean, it was, it was not, it was brutal. God uses Moses to deliver them. And then on their way to the promised land, do you remember what they were eating? God was supernaturally providing for them. Do you remember what, what they were eating? What were they eating? Help me out. What was it? Yep, you got it. Say it nice and loud. Manna. So God was providing for them this heavenly meal for the 40 years that they were in, the, in, in route to the promised land. Never got sick. They didn't have to go to a hospital. There were no doctors. There was no hospitals. I mean, it was perfect. But then there was a point where they got, they got tired of the same food. Their appetite, their craving got in the way. And watch, watch what happens. Numbers 11, verse 4. Let's put it on the screen. Watch this. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. Watch this. They yielded, they give in to their craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? So they go on a, on a strike. We want meat to eat. We want meat to eat. And so they're, they're complaining, okay? In verse 15, verse 5, excuse me, is they say, We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt. This is a lie, by the way. They were not free. In the, are you kidding me? We remember the fish that we ate freely in Egypt. The cucumbers and the melons and the onions and the garlic. Oh, I remember the garlic. It was so good. Okay? Verse 6. Verse six. But now, watch this. This is a lie, by the way. But now our whole being is dried up. There's nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. 
And I want you to know when you read this story, because of their allegiance to King Stomach, because of their, their, their willingness to give in to the desires of the flesh, their appetite, their intense craving, literally they ate themselves out of the promised land. And none of those people who complained, who said, we want meat to eat, none of them actually made it to the promised land. If you read the, the passage in Numbers, Numbers 11, around verse 18, 19, God looks at them and says, you want meat? Is that what you want? I'm going to give you so much meat, not just one day, not like three days or five days, not like, like a week or 15 days, like, uh, not like 20 days. I'm going to give you so much meat that you're going to gag, like you're going to get sick of it. A, a translation puts it, it's going to come out of your nostrils. And God says, because, for Numbers eleven twenty, because you've rejected the Lord who is among, who's here among you. You see, it, when you go to the New Testament, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. God should be our ultimate dependency. He should be our ultimate satisfaction, okay? And so when these people, when they complain about what God was doing in their lives, um, it was a miracle that God was every day. He would provide for them substance. And so this was a, a picture of God among them. And when they say, we don't want this anymore, we want to go back to Egypt, we want to eat the meat that we were freely eating in Egypt, what they're saying, according to God's word, is you rejected me. You, you're, this is against me. And literally, in verse 34, watch this, let's put it on the screen, 1144, uh, it says, so that place was called Kibroth Hata'ava, which means graves of what? Of gluttony, because there they buried the people who had craved meat from Egypt. Now, not every story in the Bible is about the downfall of who fell to dethrone King's stomach. I've given you those, the examples of people who gave in, um, but there's a lot of stories where, like Moses, for example, he got the Ten Commandments while he was fasting. Did you know that? Most of, Moses was on a 40-day fast when he received the Ten Commandments. Pretty big deal, right? Uh, Hannah, in the Old Testament, she couldn't give birth. She, she couldn't get pregnant. And, um, and so the Bible says that she wept and did not eat, and God heard her plea. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 7. Peter... Uh, fasted when God gave him a new revelation and God told Peter to go to the Gentiles and so it was because of that fast that Peter went to the Gentiles who knows if we if we would even be saved today if it wasn't for that that fast that Peter was on um, Anna in the New Testament I told our volunteers this a couple weeks ago when Jesus was born maybe Jesus they brought him before the temple and it's interesting, the Bible says that Anna, Luke chapter 1, would, would fast on a regular basis. She was in prayer, she was always in prayer and fasting. She was serving at the temple. And it says that, that she was one of two, of all the hundreds of people who probably wanted to see baby Jesus, she was one of two who actually was, be, was able to see him as he's being dedicated, okay? Bible says that at age 84, think about that. At age 84, God gave a, a new sense of purpose, a new calling. And to me, what that says is, man, you're never too old to fast. 
And so there's a lot of examples in the Bible, okay, positive and negative of people who were able to, um, who did not dethrone King's stomach and people who were actually able to, to make it through. Now, what I want to do with the last 10 minutes of our time is I want to give you four different categories, okay, of like four different fasts. And then I want to close by giving you some tips, all right? So number one, there is what they call, one of the fasts that you can do is called a complete fast, okay? And basically, you only drink liquids, uh, maybe juices, and I'm not talking about like sugary drinks, and not, 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 nothing like that, but you say, you know what, for a period of time, I'm only going to drink water, okay? No food. And depending on your health, you really need to consult just kind of run it by your doctor, okay? Making sure that he is, um, that he's for it, okay? So a complete fast, you should, you should only do it for a short period of time, okay? Shouldn't be like for a long time. There's also something called selective fast. A selective fast, uh, also called a Daniel fast, is when you say, you know what? I'm not gonna have any bread. I'm not gonna have any sweets. I'm gonna remove meat. Some people just say, you know what? I'll just stick to fish, but I'm just gonna remove some of these things and I'm just gonna do fruits and vegetable and, and water. That's a selective fast. Then there's also a partial fast, a partial fast or a Jewish fast. And so what they say is, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna tackle a specific time from like 6 in the morning to 3 in the afternoon, okay? From sunup to sundown, that's a partial fast. And then there's something that some people call, and I like this one, a soul fast. A soul fast is when maybe for medical reasons you can't fast from food or maybe you're not very experienced or you don't know what to do and you're a little bit of a afraid, man, fasting, that's a kind of a next level thing. A soul fast is when, when you see that there's something in your life that's maybe a little bit out of balance, and you say, you know what, I'm going to cut this out of my life for a season so that I can focus on the Lord, okay? So you may say, you know what, for 21 days, I'm going to stop watching the news, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop alcohol, I'm not going to drink alcohol, or I'm going I'm to stop playing video games, and I'm going to take some of that time, some of that focus, and I'm going to spend it on the Lord. It's a great, I love doing a soul fast from time to time. And what you do is, at the end of the time that you've selected, you say, you know what, I'm going to bring those things back, but in a little bit, a little bit better, like better, more balanced doses, okay? So rather than playing video games for six hours a day, what I'm going to do, I'm going to cut it for 21 days, focus on the Lord, and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to bring it back, but it's going to be a little bit more in, 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 in balance with what the way I want to lead my life. Now, a lot of people ask the question, how long, Pastor Alex, how long should I fast? And really, the timing of your, of your fast is not as important as, as the strength of your focus on the Lord, okay? And, and so when you study the Bible, there are three-day fasts, seven-day fasts, or 21-day fasts, or 40-day fasts, uh, but there's also references to a uh, half a day. There's a reference about a 24-hour fast. And so I would say this, I would say this. I would say there's no real formula on how long. I really can't help you there. That's something between you and the Lord. What I would say, though, is don't try to be a hero. If you don't have experience fasting, don't say, I'm going to do a complete fast for 21 days. And it's like, oh, that, that's a little bit foolish, okay? So it's, not, it's more about the energy and time that you're going to spend with the Lord than the amount of time that you're going to be fasting. So that's something that I would say, look, pray about it and ask the Lord, okay, God, the next 21 days, what do you want me to do? 
Um, let me close with this. Practical tips. I'm going to ask our worship team to get on, on stage. We'll, we're going to wrap it up. Six tips. Number one, let's put it on the screen. If it doesn't mean anything to you, it won't mean anything to God. I want you to think about this. If it doesn't mean anything to you, it will not mean anything to the Lord. And in my humble opinion, if, if you say, you know what, I'm going to fast this number of days, and when you're fasting, you're binge watching your favorite TV series, like the last seven seasons of your favorite series. That's like, well, I'm not going to judge you. If that's what you want to do. That's fine. But probably not the best thing, okay? So during the fast, the, the idea is not just to, to say, no, you know, I'm going to do away without this thing, you know. No, the, the, the focus is the Lord, okay? So if it doesn't really mean to, anything to you, I'm doing this fast because the church is doing it, or I'm doing this fast because pastor said it, or so-and-so is doing it, my spouse is doing it, I'm going to do it. It doesn't mean anything to you. It's not going to mean anything to the Lord. Number two, it's not a good idea to gorge yourself the days before the fast. So I got to tell you, um, when I was a senior in high school, my church had this thing called 30-hour famine. And what we would do is the two weeks prior to the 30-hour famine is we would raise money for hungry children all over the world. And um, on the day of the fast, we would go as teenagers, our youth group would go 30 days without eating. And I remember as a senior in high school, man, right before that fast started, I would just stuff my mouth with as much food as I could have right before and then afterwards. And I said, probably not the wisest stick. It, it can make you really sick, okay? Now, I'll tell you more stories, but I want to be too graphic. All right, number three, this is important. Drink at least one gallon of purified water. Drink at least one gallon of purified water. Water is the great flushing agent when you fast, let me paint reality for you. It's not pleasant. In fact, the times that I fasted, first couple of days, I have a migraine headache. It's not the funnest thing that you're going to do in the world. And what ha what's happening, the re one of the reasons why you're getting that, those headaches is because your body is detoxing. You, I mean, you can do all the research. In fact, they say that the average person consumes about four pounds of chemicals a year. Four pounds of whether it's preservatives or coloring that they put in the food, flavoring, um, additives, four pounds a year. And so when you're fasting, you're detoxing. They say that, that we consume about 11,000, roughly 11,250 pounds of sugar in a lifetime. 11,250 pounds of sugar. If you, if you find my name on that list, I'm probably above average. I love my sweets, okay? So when you're fasting, it's really important that you're, you're drinking a lot of fluids because that's, like I said, water is the great flushing agent. It'll help you. It'll help your body detox. All right, the last three, probably most important ones. Number four, you do not fast so others will notice you. It is really important. Okay, you do not fast. This is not an opportunity to show how deeply spiritual you are. It's not a time to say, hey, I'm on my seven-day absolute fast, you know, and then somebody else looks at you and says, oh, that's nothing. I've been fasting for 14 days already. Like, I'm way ahead of you. No, no, no. This is not a time. In fact, Jesus says, when you do it, wash your face, you know, take a shower. Don't announce it to people. It's between you and the Lord. So this is not, you do not fast so others will notice how spiritual you are. Number five, really important, you do not fast to obtain merit with God God already loves you 
And if you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear this. God already loves you. Done. Period. There's no more to add to that. God loves you. He's not going to love you anymore or any less based on how long you go, based on, your, based on if you do good or if you do. He already loves you. So the purpose of fasting is not so you can obtain some sort of merit with the Lord. And the last one, I'll close with this, is you do not fast to lose weight. Okay? So fasting this is not a diet. This is not a fad. Okay? This is not something, you know, there's a lot of things online that, you know, about fasting and all of that. But this is not, this is not the latest thing. Fasting is a discipline that has been taught and it has been practiced for thousands of years. Thousands of years. And so this discipline of fasting breaks you out of the world's routine. When you fast, it's a form of worship. What you're saying is, you're, what you're doing is you're, you're saying, God, I'm offering my body as a sacrifice to you. It's a, it's a holy thing. It will humble you. It'll, it'll bring you back to those days when you gave your life to Christ. Remember the days when, when you were just beginning your journey of faith and you were just beginning to like, it's like, okay, God, I think I'm in. I think I'm going to do this thing. It's, it's, remember that, was that excitement and that love? And you'd get into God's word and you wanted to learn more and you wanted to find out more about this God who's all loving and all merciful. Fasting will bring you back to those days, to your first love. It's a holy thing. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, as we wrap up today, I want to read Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. In light of what we looked at, this is Paul, the Apostle Paul, through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I've read these verses many, many times in my life, but today I want you to listen to them through the filter of our subject of prayer and fasting. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. So, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. I'm begging you, in other words. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. The kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. See, worship is not just getting up and singing two songs and then sitting down, listening to a message, and then one more song and then going home. That's not, that's part of it. Worship is so much more. He says, God says, don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. We're going to talk about that next week, renewing your mind. And then you will learn to know God's will for your life, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And so, God, we come before you, and we know that the enemy attacks our weak spots. 
God, we see the example in Jesus when he fasted 40 days and 40 nights to get ready for his public ministry. He knew it would be brutal, so he, he consecrated himself. He, he dedicated his, his ministry to you, and he said, for 40 days, I'm going to fast, I'm going to pray. And sure enough, the enemy came after him. And what did he attack? Well, he attacked his weak spots. In that moment, he was hungry. His stomach was empty. He was famished. And so the enemy came in and said, Oh, turn these stones into bread. If you're the Son of God, turn it. You can do it. I'm so glad that he didn't fall to that temptation. But God, in a similar way, may we ask the question, Lord, where are we empty? God, where, where are we? Like, if, if we're hungry for attention, God, if, if we're craving for success, if we're longing for intimacy, and that's, that's what we're looking for, God, may we be aware of those weak spots, those empty areas in our lives, God, and may we surrender them through this fast the next 21 days, God. May we just say, God, you first. God, we're going to give you the first portion of our year, and we really believe that blessings will come. We're going to seek you first, Lord, and then everything that we desire will be added, Lord. And so, God, help us the way that you Help Jesus. God, may we surrender our emptiness. Protect us when the enemy attack those weak spots. And God, if we're hungry for attention or craving for success or longing for intimacy, Lord, may we recognize it. Dethrone King's stomach and surrender our bodies as a living sacrifice to you. So I wonder, with, all, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I wonder how many of you say, Pastor, I'm going to the next 21 days. I'm going to practice some sort of fast to focus on the Lord. Would you raise your hand all over the room? Yep, yep, yep. I see your hand. I see your hand. Pastor, I'm going to, for 21 days, I'm going to say yes to my God no to a few things that tend to distract me, waste my time. And I'm going to ask his blessings on my life. God, you know our hearts, the good, the bad, the ugly. The ugly. God, I thank you for disciplines like this that are, that are good for us, for our physical bodies. God, I pray that we would see miracles the next 21 days. God, I pray that there will be breakthrough. I pray that there will be answers, there will be prayers that will be answered because of our dedication to you, God. And so, God, I, I believe with all of my heart that the best is yet to come and that we will see your hand in our lives. We will have your perspective, your perception, God. We will see things the way you see them. And so, Lord, we consecrate ourselves. All our cake, Lord, we dedicate next this whole month to you. And we ask you, do what we can do. You know that our deepest desires, you know them, God. So, God, do that thing that I can't do, Lord. I'll do my part. Do, you do yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.